You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast. This is your host, Cheng Peng, the editor and chief of San Jose Hockey Now. I'm flying solo tonight. My regular co-host, Nick Floor, isn't feeling too well. Uh, get better, Nick. Let's get right to it. It was a big day today for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, today was the first on-the-ice day of training camp. Today was the first time we talked with players, Bob Bugner and Doug Wilson in a while. And boy, there was a lot to talk about. But before we get to that, don't forget to listen to our other podcast this week where we listened, where we interviewed David Alexander Bogard of the Danbury Trashers. David lost an eye when he was a teenager, but still managed to score over 500 pro goals in his career. And if you're not familiar with the Danbury Trashers or David's story, uh, check out Netflix right now. Uh, the documentary is called Untold crime and penalties. It's an amazing documentary. Anyway, David Alexander Bogart, we talked to him uh, for over an hour about his Sharks career and his Trashers career. And that's right, his Sharks career. Did you know that David was also a 1994 Sharks draft pick? This Trashers legend was drafted in the Evgeny Nabokov and Alexander Korolyuk draft. So anyway, check that out. But back to Sharks news today. So, of course, Evander Kane, all over the news. He's been in the news for all the wrong reasons this summer. And if you're as sick about about hearing about Evander as I am about talking about him, skip ahead to later in this podcast. We talk about other good stuff like what's going on with impending UFA Tommy Hurdle. Doug Wilson addressed that today. And also my pick for the most important San Jose Sharks player this coming season. And it's not a guy you'd predict, by the way. I won't be saying Eric Carlson or Aiden Hill, though obviously those guys can change the course of the Sharks' season depending on how they perform. But back to the topic at hand, Evander Kane. Just this summer, his estranged wife, uh, let's go back to it a little bit if you've been living under a rock and you haven't heard of these stories, his estranged wife, Anna Kane, accused him of gambling at NHL games. Also, there were credible reports that his teammates didn't want him back because of how he flouted team rules last year. And also, he almost got, reportedly, into a fight with former associate coach Rocky Thompson. So yesterday, uh, we're recording this on Thursday, the NHL cleared Evander Kane of gambling on hockey. So with that, we were all set for Evander Kane to be here for media availability today for the most awkward media session since Dwight Howard hugged Stan Van Gundy. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. It's worth it. Or to put it up, uh, put it in mean terms, it'd be the crying guy with a smiling face mask saying, everything is fine. We love Evander. But on Tuesday... Anna Kane filed sexual assault and domestic battery allegations against Evander Kane. 
And keep in mind, unlike her accusations that he gambled on hockey, which was done over Instagram, this was done in court. So yeah, Anna may have lied about the gambling. That's what the NHL investigation suggests. But as AJ Perez of Front Office Sports tweeted, the latest claims made by Vander Kane's estranged wife came in court documents, not social media. It's perjury to submit a fraudulent filing. Perjury in California is punishable by up to four years in prison. So I wouldn't be too quick to dismiss Anna here. I also want to add, if you can stomach it, go to AJ Perez's Twitter, at by AJ Perez, and he's been very on top of all the Vander Kane news to read Anna's claims in her own words. And if you do choose to do that, I would 100% give you a trigger warning before you check it out. It includes, allegedly, Evander saying to Anna, you can't rape your wife. The point is, and not to sound too PR, but these are really, really serious allegations. And there's no way that Kane should be anywhere close to the Sharks until he's cleared or cleared of it or close to it. And let's not forget, too, Evander has a history of alleged sexual violence. In 2015, he was the subject of a sexual assault investigation. Uh, he didn't end up facing any criminal charges. The following year, he was accused of sexual harassment, and the charges were dismissed but after a plea agreement. So I say this as a reminder of just the gravity of what we're talking about here. And not surprisingly, nobody from Doug Wilson, Bob Bugner, and Logan Couture, among others who spoke today, wanted to talk about these particular allegations today. And I get it. You know, it's an active investigation. So let's dip into the less serious but still relevant topic of the alleged locker room discord last year between Kane and his teammates. That's something that we did ask Doug Wilson and Bob Bugner and more about that. And they were a little more willing to talk about that, but not that much more so. Brent Burns noted uh, by our maybe our fifth Evander Kane question that he'd rather take hockey questions or talk about his hair. If you notice... Uh, Brent shaved his hair recently, then take another Vander Kane question. And if you know Brent, he'd rather talk about pretty much anything rather than hockey. You know, if you ask Brent Burns how he added to his game over the summer, you might get a 10-second quote and a stare. You know, he wants to keep that thing, that, that kind of stuff in-house. But ask him what he added to his ranch, he might go on for 10 minutes. So anyway, what was interesting to me and how the Sharks reacted to questions about whether or not Kane was a locker room issue last year? And remember that Evander Kane in the recent ESPN Sports Center interview painted it uh, painted these issues as more or less as a media narrative. Basically, he said we were lying. So I asked Logan Couture flat out about the reports. Did you guys have problems with Evander's off the ice hockey related issues last year? And this is a direct quote, and you can see the story on San Jose Hockey Now, the full story. He said. My opinion is what happens in a dressing room stays in a dressing room, and I'm not going to comment. So that's a pretty good non-statement there, right? <laughs> saying something but really saying nothing. 
And what matters, at least in my mind, is what Couture and pretty much all of his teammates haven't said. <clears throat> we had Mario Ferraro on the San Jose Hockey Now podcast recently, and he said, Evander's my teammate. I love him, and I look forward to battling for a playoff spot alongside him this year with the Sharks. This was last week before you know, everything that, that went down the last couple of days. That is the strongest statement, I guess, of support that we've received or seen from a teammate, Sharks teammate. Hurdle, in that uh, Czech website interview that was out a couple weeks ago, gave Kane props for being able to be so productive last year during his bankruptcy proceedings. Vlasic, in a French newspaper interview that also came out a couple week, weeks ago, said, if Evander comes back, and, and I quote, it won't be a distraction in the locker room as long as he shows up to the arena and does what he has to do to help the team. And you can check out both of these translated, fully translated interviews on San Jose Hockey Now, the Hurdle Czech interview and the Vlasic French interview. But you know what nobody has said from Doug Wilson, Bob Bugner, Logan Couture, who I asked directly, Meryl Ferraro, Tommy Hurdle, Mark Edward Vlasic. Nobody has stood up and flat out denied any of the reporting about the issues that they had uh, with Kane in the locker room, you know, the things like being late to practice, uh, not adhering to the dress code, uh, almost fighting Rocky Thompson, things like that. And yeah, it's possible that not every single one of those things is exactly true or exactly as portrayed. That's, that's fine and all, right? Uh, or the other big thing, teammates complaining about Kane to Wilson or Kane's problems following team rules. So, Nobody has come out and said a thing about that and flat out denied that. I asked Doug Wilson directly, and you can also see this on San Jose Hockey Now. How true were the reports that came out over the summer of the locker room discord? I even cited, I said to him, there were reports that players complained directly to you about Evander Kane last year. And you can read his entire quote. It's a long quote, so I'm not going to read it out here. But again, there is no flat denial. There is no saying that did not happen. The, the teammates did not complain about him. Uh, Evander was always on time. Uh, Evander always uh, practiced hard. There's nothing to that effect. So let's just leave that there that, you know, we made up the story. This is a media-driven narrative. You're grasping me at straws. Week two of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week three game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state or province, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season with their daily fantasy contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. 
Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. So the last thing I wanted to say about Evander and a slightly <clears throat> different topic and, again, not as serious as the allegations that he's facing. If Evander Kane is out for a prolonged period of time, and who would be surprised by that, who fills the scoring void? Let's not forget, Evander Kane led the Sharks in goals last year. So no Evander Kane on the Sharks for a team that uh, 26th in the league last year. That is a big loss on the ice. There's no question. So first, uh, you, you think about the guys who maybe struggled a little bit last year or are younger players that can prove more. You know, they've proven something, but they can prove more. And so the guys that stand out to me in that regard, guys that can fill the void by scoring more than we're accustomed to, Timo Meyer, obviously, who has underperformed for the last two years. Kevin LeBanc, who has also kind of underperformed under the last two years. I say kind of because it was not very strong two years ago. Last year was better. I would actually say that he was uh, more productive, uh, less of a disappointment than Timo Meyer, but still maybe not quite what you're hoping for, uh, for his uh, four-plus million salary. Uh, Rudy Balzers, of course, is another guy, younger guy who... Surprise last year, picked up off of waivers, had a very good season for the Sharks, but a very good season for a very bad team. So can he be better on potentially a better team? Can he be a true middle six option on a good team? Jury's still out on, out on that. And the last guy I'm looking at to elevate his scoring a bit is Alexander Barabanov, who came in and was terrific with Evander Kane and Tommy Hurdle last year when he came in after the trade deadline. But of course, the question with him, you know, Barabotov came in, he was an older player. Is he for real? So those are four guys I'm looking at, you know, youngish guys that if they can either produce more than they have recently or show that their small sample sizes are real and continue doing that, that can help to start to make up for that lack of scoring. The other group of guys I want to look at are the young guys. And I'm sure as Sharks fans, you're tired of hearing about young guys coming in to fill the void because, you know, who really does or who really has over the last two seasons, right? Especially up front. (laughs) But uh, today, and let's not get too excited about training camp rosters day one, you know, like that doesn't really mean anything. But you did kind of get a, a sense, though of what the Sharks are kind of hoping for uh, uh, happens uh, with some of their players. You know, who they hope will emerge uh, in this in this time, especially in this time where Evander Kane is not a part of this team. And one of the, the, one of the, the first guys that we saw out there was uh, Jonathan Dahlin, who was skating with Logan Couture and Timo Meyer today. And Dahlin is an interesting case. You know, we all kind of know his story. He was a, uh, a highly touted a prospect uh, drafted by Ottawa, traded to Vancouver. Uh, you know, top, I don't know, 50-ish prospect at that point. Then he had a really rough season in the AHL uh, when he was part of the Vancouver organization. Traded to the Sharks during the 2018-19 season. Didn't really finish uh, the. He went to the Barracuda. Didn't really finish the season there. And he's been in Sweden the last two years, tearing it up in Sweden, but tearing it up in second division Swedish hockey. (laughs) 
So anyway, he has finally crossed over to the Sharks, and he's getting a shot immediately in a scoring role, which is, you know, that's the kind of player he is. He's not going to be doing any good on the fourth line or as a checker. So he's got to be scoring and on a scoring line to help you. So he gets a uh, first shot with Kator and Meyer today. And so uh, it is worth knowing, noting, and we didn't really get into any, any details about it, but both Logan Kator and Bob Bugner did say that he looked good today. What does that mean exactly? Well, we'll find out more. We'll see him in some exhibition games to really get a sense. So he's one candidate. The next candidate is John Leonard. And John Leonard's sort of a forgotten guy uh, this training camp. But don't forget, how good John Leonard was during that first game, opening game last season against the Coyotes. I think he had a couple assists that game. He was on a line with Hurdle and Kane. And you may say, well, it's just one game, and he played, I think, 43 other games. I think he ended the season with just 10 points or something like that. It was his rookie season last year, though. And for young players, for rookies, right? Or were for young players specifically, and John Leonard coming into his second season. The important thing for him is we know his ceiling. We saw some of his ceiling last year, right? And we saw that game, like that opening game against Arizona. We saw games like that. Uh, other uh, Maybe one out of every 10 games, we saw his A game. For a young a young player like Leonard, the, the, the question is, can he turn that one out of every 10 A-game performance into maybe one out of three games to get his A-game performance. And then sprinkle in a lot of Bs and a few Cs, and then he comes out with a pretty good season there. So that's that's the question. So we get a sense of John Leonard's ceiling, and it's a legit ceiling. I know a lot of scouts, a lot of people like him. And so I think that there is real hope that he's a guy that can come in and be a lot better than he was last year. And I think it's a legitimate hope too. You know... <clears throat> Once again, you know, remember how good he was in that first game, and people were talking him up <laughs> for the Calder Trophy right after that game. You know, I think there's articles in, I don't know, The Athletic or wherever talking him up for that. And again, obviously, uh, it was just one game, and he couldn't sustain it or be consistent about it last year. Can he be more consistent? Even if it's a game, one out of every five games, or one out of every four games. That would be a big improvement over last year. And then you start to get a sense of somebody that, okay, you know, he's a guy that can play up in the lineup and fill some of the scoring void. So that's my second candidate to fill uh, some of the scoring void. And uh, finally, Noel Gregor. And Noel Gregor we've seen for two seasons already with the Sharks, and he still hasn't taken control of a spot. He still hasn't played in such a way at night in, night out, where you think to yourself, this guy has got to be in a lineup. This guy has got to be playing up in a lineup. What is he doing on a fourth line or something like that? Yet to do it. But again, like John Leonard, we've seen the flashes. We've seen the skating. We've seen the shots. We've probably seen more flashes than we have out of John Leonard, actually. But granted, Noel Gregor is a second-year player. Again, though, this is a chance for a guy like that to take that leap. So Noel Gregor's the guy that maybe shows us his A game one out of every seven games. Here's his chance to show us his A game one out of every three games or something like that. So those are the three guys that stand out to me as the most likely to kind of step in and kind of fill that scoring void if Evander Kane is out for a while. I know there's other guys too, guys like William Acklin, uh, but... You know, I think that's a, that's a bit of a long shot, obviously, to depend on an 18-year-old uh, to come in and 
you know, score at what would be a 20-goal pace or whatever. And more power to him if he's able to do that. I will say that Doug Wilson did have a great quote about Eklund uh, today. And again, you can read the whole thing at San Jose Hockey now. But what he said basically was that what he likes about Eklund and why he thinks that Eklund might be able to make the jump to the NHL really soon. He didn't say this year, but you know, sooner than maybe ex- uh, expected. Even if Eklund can make the jump next year, that would be sooner than expected, uh, at least uh, in, in my book. Uh, he mentioned that when Joe Pavelski and Logan Couture first came to camp the first time, they were so smart as players. And Doug Wilson referred to it as what was between the ears. So smart that Doug kind of knew that these guys would be able to adjust quickly, uh, learn quickly from their mistakes. And so I think that he sees something similar out of William Eklund. Where a guy like Eklund, what are his challenges? Eklund is a smaller player, not as strong, um, has never played regularly on the North American ice. You know, Eklund's been playing in Sweden his whole career. Those are challenges that it sounds like Doug Wilson believes that Eklund can overcome soon. But I will say, and this is something that I wrote about, I spoke with a number of scouts uh, who watched Eklund at the recent rookie tournament in Arizona. Nobody thinks, based on that, and yes, again, only three games in a exhibition tournament <laughs> in, in Arizona, but nobody thinks, based on that, that he's ready for the NHL. So he'll need to take huge leaps and bounds in the next month or next three weeks of camp to seriously be considered for that. And it wouldn't surprise me if he does. He does seem to be that bright a player, that smart a player. But, you know, it's a tall order uh, to ask of an 18-year-old. Okay, so finally, I promise, we're done talking about Evander Kane. Let's talk about something different. So the other big news in the Sharks world is Tommy Hurdle. Uh, Tommy Hurdle is going to be a free agent after this season. Tommy Hurdle is a point-per-game player, basically, over the last, if you combine the last three seasons. He is a big center, responsible two ways. He's a legit 1C in my book. He's not one of the best first-line centers in the league, of course. He's no Connor McDavid or whatnot, but he is uh, 1C. I think in a you know mid-range team or, or or worse, and if you have a top center like let's say a Boston, you have a, P- a Patrice Bergeron, and you add Tommy Hurdle to be your second line center. Oh boy, you know a guy like Hurdle could be essentially the best second line center in the league. So anyway, so he's an excellent player. He's 27. Uh, he has one year left in his contract at 5.6 million, a reasonable amount. So the obvious question is, what are the Sharks going to do with him? Are the Sharks going to re-sign him? Are the Sharks going to trade him? And so that's been a big topic, second only to Evander Kane uh, this offseason. And a month ago, we here at San or I <laughs> at San Jose Hockey Now, there's no we, I at San Jose Hockey Now, I reported that nobody had been talking to Hurdle. And Doug Wilson countered that today a bit by saying, I've had several conversations with his agent. And I think we might be talking about semantics. You know, my source, highly placed, says nobody had talked to Hurdle himself or, you know, someone really close to him. But I guess maybe that doesn't count as agent. That might be the case. So it could be the semantics where both of us are, are right. 
But anyway, regardless though uh, of of the semantics of that, where where the sharks are with Hurdle, and I will say too, uh, I at least on my side, you know, if you read the check interview by Hurdle, Hurdle said very clearly that he hadn't really heard from the sharks. He didn't know the sharks wanted him back. That's impression that I received from my source too, uh, which I reported before the Hurdle interview. But regardless, though, you know, whatever it is, again, we're talking about semantics here. So the order of things when they happen, uh, that sort of thing, right? Doug Wilson did make it clear that he had talked to Hurdle's agent several times already. And that, and this is, and I quote, uh, Tommy knows how we feel about him. So, uh We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what, what, what develops of all of this. Uh, I would say the impression I got from today is that it's going to be really tough negotiation in terms of money. And you could, again, you can read uh, three questions were asked of Doug Wilson about Tommy Hurdle. Again, you can find out on San Jose Hockey Now. And this is the quote that, that I pulled out. I asked Doug uh, directly, do you want Tommy Hurdle in San Jose long term. And Doug said, and I quote, I love Tomash Hurdle. But it has to be one of those things that works for everybody. We're dealing with some unique dynamics. So what does he mean by unique dynamics? And he mentioned flat cap. He didn't mention, but I think it's it was implied that the Sharks obviously are carrying a lot of long-term contracts with, I, I should add, a lot of underperforming players. And so there's good reason for Doug Wilson to hesitate to add another long-term contract. You never know if a guy's going to drop off because that's what happened with all the Sharks. They were performing when they signed all these long-term contracts, guys like Vlasic and Carlson, etc., etc., and then they dropped off. So I think that there's really good reason, of course, for Doug Wilson to to hesitate before investing in a hurdle. And of course, the biggest dynamic, maybe we're talking about some of these, you know, unique is maybe not the right word for it, but maybe for the Sharks it is. The fact that the Sharks haven't been good for the last couple of years, missed the playoffs for the last two years. In that kind of window you know, kind of window where you're resetting and you're getting toward rebuilding. You're closer to re to rebuilding, it seems like, than you are to contending. Of course, it, it may not make sense to sign a 27-year-old center to an eight-year contract. 27-year-old center, I might add, who's had significant knee injuries. On the other hand, too, and I've discussed this before, Hurdle is seen as a leader Based on people I talk to, I believe the Sharks see him in the same way that they saw a Lo or they see a Logan Couture or they saw a Joe Pavelski. You know, guys that you can build a room around, guys that are going to be great to, you know, shepherd the young guys, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of reason to keep Tommy Hurdle, whether or not you are a cup contender or not. But of course, there's also the question, too, if Hurdle wants to stay with a team that is not. That does not appear to be close to contending for a cup. So anyway, my takeaway from this is that this is going to last a while. I don't think this is something where Tommy Hurdle is going to get traded before the beginning of training camp or he's going to get signed. Uh, I'm sorry, not the, the beginning of the regular season or he's going to get signed. 
uh, before the regular season. I think we're going to see how the Sharks are doing. If the Sharks play well this season, I think that's going to add some fuel to that fire to re-sign him. And then they had to figure out the money in a term, and that sounds tough. And maybe Doug is looking for a little bit of a, of a discount because that's sort of the position that he's put himself in with all the contracts that he has signed. But anyway, we'll see, though, I think is the biggest. That's just me speculating with that. So we did not talk to Tommy Hurdle today. We will talk to him tomorrow. And we'll get a sense of his side of things and what, you know, his check interview, what that all meant and how much he has talked to Doug Wilson and all that sort of stuff. So the last thing I wanted to get to before I sign off today, I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of who's sort of the the turnkey Sharks player this year, sort of that guy if he shows up that can change things you know change the fortunes of the team for good or for ill and i said that i would incite eric carlson or aiden hill those are obvious picks and those guys are obviously guys that you know if you get eric carlson circa 2016 this year if you get a competent average to above average starting goaltending from aiden hill or maybe james reimer that does change the fortunes of the San Jose Sharks for sure. But my choice, though, my maybe little off-the-radar choice is Mark Edward Vlasic. And I think I would hear, if I could do a sound effect, that would be, uh-oh, <laughs> that's the guy that you're relying on. You know, Vlasic's game has obviously declined sharply from when he was an Olympian a number of years back, from when he signed his extension, I believe, in 2017, even from the 2019 playoffs when he was quite good still. But the reason why I cite Vlasic is a lot the reason why the Sharks signed a Nick Bonino, actually. And when the Sharks signed Nick Bonino, Doug Wilson said one of the reasons why they signed him is that they see Nick Bonino as an ideal kind of third-line center, a guy that they can slot behind Couture and Hurdle, and also to and then take off the defensive load, some of the tough defensive zone starts from Hurdle and Couture, and allow Hurdle and Couture to emphasize or focus on offense a little more, uh, maybe not take a tough matchup on some nights, that sort of thing. Keep him fresh, maybe keep him off the DL, that sort of stuff. I think Vlasic can have that same effect on the Sharks too. And I know, again, that's a lot to ask of a guy that has sharply declined over the last couple of years. But if you look at how the Sharks were built in the good old days, uh, when they, they were at their best under Peter DeBoer, and even before that probably, a lot of it was because they could rely on a Mark Edward Vlasic and a Justin Braun to take on the heavy matchups, the tough starts, that sort of thing, and then allow a Brent Burns to run wild offensively. The problem last year, though, was as Vlasic declined so sharply that he dropped to bottom-pairing defensemen last year. You know, there were times last year where I think that if Vlasic played for a better team, he would have been scratched for sure. But because of Vlasic's decline, that turned Brent Burns and Merrill Farrell into your shutdown pairing. And so a guy like Brent Burns, who used to enjoy, I think, uh, used to have 
Well, I don't want to get into the exact numbers of it. I don't quite remember. But basically, a guy like Burns, who used to get a heavy, heavy dose, and I've written many articles about it, so you can look at the numbers there. But Burns used to, used to get a heavy, heavy dose of offensive zone starts. Five-on-five five offensive zone starts. That's where you want Brent Burns. I will always argue that Brent Burns is underrated defensively. But ideally, Brent Burns should be focused on offense. I mean, that's what he is great at. You know, I think he's okay at defense overall, uh, but he's great at offense, or at least he was. And so that's what he should be focusing on. But last year, though, with uh, Vlasic's decline, with Eric Carlson's decline too, those guys stopped getting uh, the defensive zone, uh, a, a lot of the starts, the toughest matchups, and Burns and Farrell became the matchup pairing for Bob Bugner. You know, matchup against the top, the best lines on their team, uh, taking that defensive zone start at a critical time in the game. That didn't go to Vlasic uh, last year, and it used to go to Vlasic a long time ago. Went to Burns and Ferraro last year. And I think Burns and Ferraro, they performed ably in roles that maybe wasn't quite the best for them or best suited. You know, we talked about Brent Burns, how he is an offensive defenseman first. And Merrill Ferraro, as game as he is, what a gamer, always 100% effort. He's a second-year player. You know, on a good team, he has no business taking on these kind of these kind of zone starts, these kind of tough matchups. And I'm not suggesting that Vlasic can come back and be, you know, Mark Edward Vlasic circuit 2016 Stanley Cup final. That's gone. That's you know, that's five years ago. Vlasic is 34 now. That's not going to happen. But can Vlasic come back this year and be a lot better than he was last year? And like a Nick Bonino, help out at least. You know, take on some of the load. Play some good second-pairing minutes. If he does, I think that changes the calculus for the entire team, for all the matchups. That means less defensive zone matchups for Brent Burns. Less for Eric Carlson, if Eric Carlson and Vlasic are, you know, are, are, aren't paired together. The point, though, is if Vlasic can take on some of some of that load and be come back to at least being a legitimate middle-pairing defenseman, that would take a big load off of everybody else and put Carlson and Burns potentially in the right spots offensively for themselves. And again, you're going to say, well, if we're depending or if we're relying on Mark Edward Vlasic to turn the Sharks' season in a positive way, you know, you're out of your mind. <laughs> you know, I, I can't fully disagree with you on that point, but I will I will say and you know, again I, I'm parroting management excuses, I guess. But hey, you know what? It's the first day of training camp, just like the first day of spring training. So uh everybody is 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 bright and shiny and hopeful and optimistic. Doug Wilson says that the COVID season was tough on Mark Edward Vlasic, uh that Mark Vlasic did not have as much of an opportunity to skate last year in COVID, uh, COVID hit Quebec, where Vlasic spent most of his offseason. And that this past offseason, Vlasic has been able to return to a more regular training cycle. Uh, Bob Bugner said that Vlasic is skating more than he, uh, uh, I'm sorry, skating earlier than he usually does in the summer. And also, too, Vlasic came back to San Jose to get up to speed earlier than he has in the past. And so, uh, with these things, 
you know, maybe, just maybe, we can get a better Mark Edward Vlasic. Something else that Doug Wilson says that actually I don't wholly disagree with, and you can look back on when I kind of noted it myself. Late in the season last year, we started seeing a better Mark Edward Vlasic. Again, this wasn't 2016 Mark Edward Vlasic by any stretch, but this was a notably, noticeably better Vlasic that we saw near the end of the year. So if you can get that and maybe a little better, then maybe you start have to start you start to have the makings of not a seven million dollar defenseman, which is what Vlasic makes, sure. But then you have the makings of a legit second pairing-ish guy that can again help take the load off. You know, he's not it's not gonna ever at least with this team as currently constructed, with the age of the of of guys like Burns and Vlasic and Carlson, we're not gonna go to what Doug Wilson envisioned when he traded for Eric Carlson in 2019 or 2018. And we saw that early in the season, early in the 2018-19 season, when Vlasic and Justin Braun took all the tough defensive matchups and Burns and Carlson were kind of allowed to, uh, in terms of matchups at least, you know, they got more of the offensive zone matchups, kind of allowed to do what they do best. And that makes sense, right, in, in principle. Uh, one of the best defensive shutdown defensemen in the league doing the defensive stuff, the heavy lifting there, letting Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, the two highest-scoring defensemen basically of the decade, do what they do best. And that season already, early in the season, we saw the cracks there where Vlasic and Braun weren't playing quite as well as we were accustomed to. And, you know, it was a whole struggle that season. Uh, just some of the things I, I remember from that season. Uh, Vlasic, I think, went, uh, was injured for a little while. When he came back, they put him with Tim Heed on a bottom pairing uh, for a little while, I believe. Uh, I think uh, for a little while, Justin Braun and Brendan Dillon, they were the quote-unquote shutdown pair. Uh, Carlson was hurt at that time. Anyway. He did come back. Mark Edward did come back strong during the 2019 playoffs. And he was terrific in the first round in the Vegas series. We all remember that. And so I think I think there is legitimate hope. This is not just uh, management speak. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm puppeting here. <laughs> uh, I think there is hope that, that, that we can see a much better Mark Edward Vlasic this year, and he is the guy. He is a guy that uh, subtly I, I'm going to be watching very, very carefully to see where he's at. And if he comes back to to a stronger form, just like Nick Bonino, he can make the rest of the team better because he can afford uh, guys like Brent Burns and Eric Carlson to do what you want them to be doing, which is focusing on offense. Anyway, that's it for day one of training camp. There's a lot more to come next week, and Nick will be back in the saddle next week. Here's where you can find us on social media. First, you can find the podcast at SJ Hockey Now Pod. Don't forget to also follow our network at Hockey Pod Net. And as for myself, you can follow me at Sheng underscore Peng. And Nick, of course, at Nick Floor, F-L-O-H-R underscore. And don't forget to listen to our interview earlier this week with Danbury Trashers legend and 1994 San Jose Sharks draft pick, David Alexander Bogard. Have a good day and join us next week.